Oh, welcome, Mike. To big content, make sure you are in the Discord. That's where you could ask us questions. That's where we're talking about content at all times. And subscribe to the channel if you're new. I actually wanted to start off with this um, little piece of text that I was going to tweet, but I didn't. I want you to guess how many videos I have posted on YouTube in my lifetime. Just on our channel, this includes fantasy videos, this includes vlogs, this includes live streams as well. How many years? Seven? Six, seven? Um, I think my first ever video was like 2015, so 15. eight maybe. Oof. Okay. Not counting TikTok. Just just, you, just on our YouTube channel right Not now. shorts. Not shorts either. I don't think. Uh, full feature films as you create. Yes. I would guess eight years. There's 365 days. It's, uh, I guess you probably just crossed a thousand recently. You got into, a, a, I would say, a more often cadence i think people underestimate like if you take 60 days off what that does to the average per year which i would imagine you probably like in 15 16 17 you probably went at least i mean you don't vacation because you're a grinder but there were probably stretches of time so that drops the average down so yeah i'm gonna go with 1032 2359 if that's, you divide that by three, yeah. if you divide that by three hundred and sixty-five, that is six point four six years of posting pretty much every single day. Yeah. I don't know why I wanted to go look at that, but wait. So when were you posting daily? We post daily now. You we did. basically post daily now. I would but, say, but you just said basically. Like that's what I'm saying. That is literally pretty much posting every single day. I think if we went back to if we looked on our channel right now, I don't know when the last day we missed was, but like yesterday, I had a video go up at noon, and then I live streamed an underdog draft uh, at night. So there will be days that I go too. Live. I said, if you go back and watch the video, uh, what I said, yeah. What did you say? You I said, said how many times this, we posted. How many times we posted? I said that includes fantasy football stuff, vlogs, and live streams. Uh, Everything we've ever done. Uh, so there are days that we have multiple. In, when you started, fifteen, let's say fifteen. Two thousand fifteen, I did not post every day. Right, no. but was it? It was more than once a week. You were you were that consistent. Probably not then, but once I hit later on, I might have been posting probably two a, two two a, a day, day for some period of time. Whatever it was, that's what the fun. And, yeah. and, and this is on the channel, so this is not only just me. This will include shows that were not just me. This will mm -hmm. include, um, and that's probably give or take like 100 maybe yeah, of yeah. just like unlisted and things. And that doesn't count shorts? I don't think so. Uh, but either way, shorts is such a small. You could take maybe 150 shorts off there, yeah. still you know, north of 2,000. Okay. But just just the point I want to get across here is like the amount of videos that I've made in my time on YouTube. Like I've made a lot. Yeah, I made a lot. Well, you've, six you've done your 10,000 hours. Correct. The craziest part is we had a conversation before this, and it feels like you're like just learning YouTube as well. I feel like I'm just hitting my stride right now. <laughs> like, in terms of like Matt knowing like what's Like you haven't important. even optimized for mm -hmm. good titles, good thumbs until the last 24 months. Imagine I was good at it. Right. Imagine I was good at it for the last fucking 10 years. Yeah. Damn. All right. Um, yeah, I just I was just thinking about it. I was like, holy shit, we put a lot, yeah. of, a lot of work into it. But so, I also... I want to tie it back to our conversation around what platform would you start on do you does that data info give you anything like in that conversation like is there any takeaway where you're like all right i'm way more convinced now that i wouldn't even attack youtube because look i've been doing it for this long and i'm only here or is it 
you could get better at it quicker than me now because there's more information. Like, what's your takeaway? I think there's give and take there. I still think the way that I thought about it, you know, last week and the week before that is definitely still like the amount of work I've put in just to get to where I am. Yeah. And it's not very far on YouTube yeah. relative to people that have taken it far is one way to look at it. Um, you could definitely go further in a shorter amount of time, given the fact that like, I can now teach you how to make good, better right. thumbnails, better titles, how, you know, how to optimize for more popular types of content. But I also, I, I think that if you did the same amount of videos now for the next seven years, uh, actually, I don't, I don't know. I don't know where it would take you. That's, that's a lot of, that's a high quantity. I, I feel like you're almost the human to what artificial intelligence is. It's like <laughs> you compiled a bunch of data for seven years. Except but now for, except for can, not working on it exponentially. Like, <laughs> except for not getting better exponentially. No, but you did. But yeah, the beauty of AI is now the efficiency of like, I can now sit in your office and in an hour pick up on 20% of that work in yeah. one hour. Yeah. And I think that's just, that's just life. It's yeah. like people are just going to get more efficient because they they can take that yeah. i just don't want it to get lost on people about just how much work we put in yeah. like behind the scenes in order to get to the spot that we are so when we're having these opinions and these conversations <laughs> it is from it is from a sample size of doing it so many fucking times yeah also you know what's bullshit with ai everyone talks about how it gets better exponentially like chat gbt does not get better ever like it's the same it's literally it still cannot go pre-2020 people underestimate just how much like exponential means you are like 50 times better in the course of like five days. No, that, that's not true. Exponential. It doesn't. I'm not talking about multi days. multiplier. It should add something. If should be. That's better. what you want it to be. But no, that's what exponential. But if is. it exponentially gets better over the course of a year, something that it's taking a hundred years to do, that is exponentially better. You're just from the TikTok generation. You want everything so quick. <laughs> oh yeah. No, because if we have the product built out. Over the course of the year, ChatGPT in one year should be yeah. a billion times better than it is right now. What's to say it won't be? Because it's fucking been around for a year already, and it sucks. We've started. We've been sucks using it for three months, sticks, brother. No, I agree. I'm with you. I'm it, just saying, like everyone's always like, it gets better exponentially. I'm like, I haven't seen a real tool yeah. actually like get Bichon. better on its own exponentially. It's like Bijan. In what capacity? It's the hype. It's it's the hype. Like realistically, what's the ceiling? I've 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 in used a few tools that are awesome yeah. but the only improvements that have ever been made to these tools are literally just man-made tools that are like we're improving the system that we like yeah, yeah I, ai ain't doing shit by itself <laughs> it's fucking stupid you're fading ai all right i'm out on Since AI a, this for sure. is my show i set the agenda and our first topic today is bringing in new talent so we are actively looking for new talent not necessarily in the Same. way that you would have thought yours is you've spoken about more traditional we are looking in a completely different route but umbrella theme is when you're looking for new talent what are you looking for compensation how much is it going to cost you abilities work ethic how do you find the person what what are they going to do for your company you're bringing in new talent um you can share that if you would like I kind of want to attack this like two ways to make sure it goes back to people who are trying to be full-time yeah. content creators to make sure we give them value first. And the first Q&A that I tackled in, in tomorrow's Q&A video, by the time you guys watch this, I think it'll be last week's, but someone asked like, what's your advice for people working full-time that are also putting in, you know, the 25 hours a week mm -hmm. on content? My first thing was like, maybe change your mindset about like building a business around I, my, my, my first thing was like, if you're spending 25 hours putting out video uh, content on YouTube, maybe think about putting out that content on TikTok and YouTube shorts 
because if you're reverse engineering what you want your life to be, a full-time content creator, it's, it's not to build, like, I think we've both came to the conclusion that building an audience on TikTok and YouTube shorts easier, mm-hmm. but it doesn't convert to, uh, like, B2C. Like, yeah, selling yeah. to consumers yeah. is hard. However, I think a good way to look at it might be You'll build your personal brand quicker Mm -hmm. and then you can get hired as a content creator. So for this person, I was like, rather than spending 25 hours on YouTube, put that same amount of time into TikTok and you'll grow instead of 10 subscribers a week on YouTube starting from zero, which is probably like a realistic thing. Mm -hmm. uh, Maybe you might grow 100 subscribers a week on TikTok. You'll build your personal brand way quicker and then you can get hired by a content company and while that might not be your end goal, you might still want to make a business out of yourself. Your life is now far more fucking aligned. You know yeah. what I mean? So I think that might be a realistic goal. And again, not going to come quick. It might take a year, two years, three years to get noticed by these full-time things, but it's going to take you way longer to become a full-time creator. For sure. Just trying to do that by yourself. So I think that's one thing just to combine here. Creator, think about your life as like a holistic viewpoint and see how you can actually fit the other pieces of your life, whether it's taking a, a part-time job to supplement your, your content path or... Mm-hmm looking at it from, you know, instead of like the conversion you're trying to close on TikTok being like selling a product to the customer, make it like trying to make Jack notice you or me notice you or something like that in order to get hired. So when we're looking at talent, that's what I'm looking for. People who are taking the smart path. And it obviously depends on what job you're trying to fill. We're trying to fill basically two jobs right now where someone on the tech side of things and someone in the consecration space. And this previous weekend, we had a group of people come out. We had uh, four people fly out from around the country that have either been in my network that I'd hope to work with in the future or um, already doing work for us. Like Noah does videos for us. So he flew out and I used this weekend as like kind of like a bonding trip, a chemistry measuring, but also like a recruiting trip in a sense. Um, So one of my first things that I'm trying to look for is the chemistry between the team and making sure that because I want anyone kind of joining the team, especially in the content space to be in-house, I need to make sure that we can all kind of like work together and that we all fit together and that the personalities gel and that I can make content with you if I need to, but Mm -hmm. I also trust you to be able to make content by yourself. So this was in the same way of like dating. It's like, you got to make sure that you want them as much as they want you and vice versa. It's not just like people get nervous on first dates or they get nervous in interviews because they just feel like, I hope this person likes me. But it's like, you have to make sure that you like this person as well because you're, you're investing a lot into them. Um, So what I'm looking for things. I think a lot of things can be molded. I think a lot of things can be gelled. A lot of things can be taught, but there's like the, I guess it factor, but work ethic, passion, the fact that you've done it over a long period of time makes me know that you're going to continue doing it. You're doing it for the right reasons. Um, so I guess stuff like that is where I could start. Okay. I just want to clear up what you were talking about. It's how our framework for the agency is level one, level two, right? And I think that what we talk a lot about is level two and selling product to your audience. But I think that that getting to level one, zero to one, is what you're speaking about there, which is totally a viable path. And sometimes going and working for that company will then even grow your brand even more. And then you can separate and do that level two thing. I think like McAfee did it with Barstool. Mm-hmm. Like that's the that's exactly what he did. Yeah, exactly. He was a content creator, fit into the network, fit into the ecosystem. It built him up. And then when it was time... When he, he was it. in the NFL, because he left the NFL to, make, to yeah. start doing stuff at Barstool, was he already doing a podcast on the side while he was in the NFL? I'm not sure. Okay. Because that's, yeah, that would be like kind of what I was referring yeah. to. Because the question came in from someone in the Discord... 
that was like, I'm already working 40 hours a week full time. And I'm assuming that was not in like the sports media yeah. industry. So it's almost like you start doing that on the side, but why not try to take baby steps in order to make your life? Like if you want to take your life here, you're not going to go from here straight there. You're going to have to take like mm-hmm. steps in order to get there. The first step I think would be aligning the parts that suck the most energy out of you. And for sure, that's going to be the 40 hour week full time job. Yeah. You start, if you work in a, a creation space or a media company or whatever, you're going to learn a lot of things that you wouldn't have unless it, you took that really long mm-hmm. path to get there. You'll be around other people that will give you good ideas, energize you, inspire you. So I think taking that jump, like it might not be the end goal for you, but it's, it's, it's a path along the way. And I think, you know, Pat McAfee going to become the biggest creator in terms of just like being paid by a network. He took baby steps to get there. He went to Barcelona first, then he did his own thing. And now he's, you know, whatever mm. the case may be. So I think think about it more holistically, like your life is just puzzles and you're put pieces together. Yeah. Do you think that, you know, when, so the comp, Part of the conversation, right? So mm-hmm. someone has that it factor, they're a superstar, they have maybe a pre-existing following. Is there a price for you at this point in time where there, there's obviously a price that's non-negotiable? Like we cannot pay someone a million dollars in cash. Maybe you can, I can't. But equity and rev share, and there's always like ways to, to you, is there a number that you're like, yeah, for the right person, I would stretch and make that bet. Or is it like non-negotiable for you? Okay, so I, I don't think non-negotiable is necessarily, I, I guess it depends on is the position something that we need yeah. versus something that we want. Right. If it's something that we need, I'm, I'll, I'll give you an example for the person that we're looking to bring on on the tech side of things, the conversation, I, I, albeit I already know him very well. Mm-hmm. Like we've been friends for quite a while. I'm like, I want to bring you on the team. And the first thing I asked him basically when we had the serious conversation was, listen, I've already kind of made up my mind. Like I'm going to do whatever it takes to bring you on. Mm-hmm. I need you to just be honest with me and give me the lowest number that I can hit <laughs> in order for this to work. Yeah. You know, like just trying to be transparent. Yeah. And I think I know him well enough that he's not going to be like, this is the number. Let me tell Nick 15 grand high or right. something like that. Um, and I'll be, he gave me the number and I was like, I'll give you an extra, you know, 7,500 on yeah. top of that, you know, per for the salary, whatever the case may be. Um, that's the way I would look at it for that. If I want someone that I think is going to be like a game changer, mm-hmm. I'm willing to to put it all out there. That being said too, like I am willing to put all my money back. I'd rather pay that person's going to make, make way more than I am personally. And I'm pers- uh, perfectly fine with that because my goals, I don't care about making money yeah. because I, there's nothing in my life right now that I'm saving up for that I feel like I need money in order to spend it on. I'm more like, okay, I like living in New York as long as I can pay my rent and mm-hmm. hang out here, whatever. I'm cool with that. With the other person who, you know, if you're going to be a full-time content creator, the offer I would give them is going to be way less. I might still have the same conversation with mm-hmm. them. Though. I might say like, what's the lowest amount that you would take to be willing to work here and see where they come up with that. I might offer something that I think is reasonable, but because it, for this uh, tech person, I don't think there's a ton that we can offer them on the tech side. That's like, this replaces the value. Right. You know what I mean? For, uh, I'll try to explain that. Content side, right? This person if I had the conversations with them and their goal is to become a full-time content creator on their own. Okay. Mm-hmm. So for me, that is a good and a bad thing. It's like good because it's going to be hard to get you to buy into the vision of BDG long-term and you, you're kind of like a mercenary in your own mm-hmm. right. Good for us in the sense that we can offer you a lot of things outside of just monetary value. Yeah. Like who better to Audience, learn from than distribution. We yeah. have all the equipment here. We have yeah. the energy, we have the brainstorming. We already have all the knowledge of 2,500 videos that we put out <laughs> yeah. to teach you how to become better. And I'm also literally someone who's taken the exact path that you want to go down. Like who better to actually learn mm-hmm. from so we can offer them value. We can come in a little bit lower or even like 
industry standard. Whereas if he gets the same offer from another company, I'm 100% sure we beat out that company because of the intangible things that we right. can offer them. That's why I'm thinking about it. So depending on how much leverage you have in the conversation, how much value you can offer that person outside of just money, you approach it differently. I think the more significant conversations and offers you have, I think the more transparent and conversational you are with the person, the better those things go down. And I, I think a lot of the times it goes far in those higher level conversations. If you do have a number and being like, we can't get anywhere above this, but like, how can we make, what, what, what else is more valuable to you? Like, how can we make it up in other aspects or avenues or whatever the case may be? So it's very subjective, just figuring out like what works for each person, I guess. Okay. And how, sense? yeah. How do you think about your equity? Because it sounds like you would rather consider invest your money, right? Versus taking money off the table, uh, which is essentially what paying higher salaries or paying guaranteed cash mm-hmm. over giving equity, but you're not as concerned with like, I'd give up equity. I would hundred percent, especially to the person that I think is going to help us actually get. What is that far. person getting with equity? If you're not necessarily thinking about an exit or trying to monetize that equity, the more I've thought about the, I am looking at our business more as like a, I don't want to exit, yeah. but like I am, as an I want to, I want to set it up right. so that, we are in a space that if we ever come to that spot or if we need to raise money, right. that is because the same thing, if you take equity in a company, I believe any point of financial investment, mm-hmm. people have the option to cash out. Is that, I don't know if that's necessary. I'm not really sure yeah. either, to be honest with you. I don't um, think so because most people, when they're raising money, it's to use the you're cash. Right. Yeah, you're right. Actually, I don't think that's the there, there, But there are probably, different time of stocks or options, I think, that do. Yeah. I think if you sell, whatever the case may be. But um, I the conversations I've had are geared more towards like I think let's set this up to be something that we can pivot off of of sell or sell there's also I think in this big bubble of like raising money equity all that stuff there's also if you set it up in a way that people were genuine partners right and they own 10 percent. this is how I'm looking if you made a million dollars in profit like they could be entitled to 10 percent of profits that depends on how you set up the equity. But I'm structure. saying like that's a model where you don't actually have to sell the company, but you could like if if someone owns a pizza shop and the pizza shop makes a hundred dollars and you're a ten percent investor, like the pizza shop, you're not investing in that pizza shop for a ten X exit. Like it's not a growth stock, you know, mm-hmm. it's not a tech company. You're investing because if the pizza shop makes a million dollars a year, you're gonna bring home a hundred thousand dollars. Well which in the media space is not normally I don't think that's that that's not necessarily true unless you have like if you're getting ownership. <clears throat> no. So one of the reasons that we converted from an LLC to a C Corp is yeah. if you're an LLC, you can't give away equity, but you can provide people with sort of equity in rev share like yeah. that's how that would yeah, work yeah. like you don't own necessarily 20 percent of the company but you will make 20 percent of the yearly revenue and that's right. the way you look at it but i think when you take the equity you are buying into a long-term thing because you're you're like you, you are but you have but, to vest for like four years typically, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? So, but but that's what i'm saying some shares yes it's vesting and it, it is on an exit but there are some ownership shares where after you know Revenue expenses, taxes are paid. There could be a withdrawal. Like there could be an owner's draw of a million dollars. And after all those things, if you took a million, and that could be after you decide, okay, we don't need to get a new office. We don't need to hire a new employee, right? This is a profit owner's draw that isn't going to be reinvested. Those people could then make money from it. It's just, 
the I didn't really think about it like that, especially in a media company. You are thinking more like exit on multiples and stuff in, versus being profitable. But good businesses are profitable and they're back in style. Yeah, in. sure. I, I think like overall, I don't want to get like too deep into this because yeah. I don't think either of us are like expertise in this. So we just might be babbling on. But the way I'm looking at equity at this point is like I am completely fine giving up chunks of equity because if that equity ends up, it, you could look at it be like, oh, you gave away like 7% equity. Right. Like if you guys cash out at a hundred million dollars, yeah, that's like seven million. gave up 7 million. I'm like, yeah, but if we cash out a hundred million dollars, like you know how much money I just made. So, right there that- so that's a funny thought because you know, I've had that thought, but, but the new thought is we're not getting to a hundred million unless that, unless we're compensating that person with the equity. Meaning yeah. I don't have the cash to give you right. So that you will go do this job. I believe that by compensating you in equity, you're going to go do this job. That's how we comp you. And our company that's worth $10 million won't be worth $100 million unless we hire this person, work with this person, and they're going to make it. So then yeah. that, that's how it yeah, I mean, I'm 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 fine giving up whatever. I don't give a fuck at this point. All right, I want twenty percent of the company. Next thing, what are you seeing in the market right now? So you're talking about this idea of a zero to one creator going and working for a company, and marketing has slowed, and I think hiring of creators have slowed, and it's all this trickle down effect. Is when layoffs happen, less jobs are available, less dollars are available. Everyone has tightened their budget for spend. So what are you seeing? You're a company that, you know, you lock into just a couple, you know, kind of long-term deals and you're maybe less reliant on outside partnerships or advertising, stuff like that. But what's your general sense in the creator market? I think the creator market is following closely with the actual overall economy where it's like we have this boom of everything is awesome. Everybody's getting deals. I mean, the marketing spend in these companies was crazy because they were raising a lot of money. So they had a lot of money to spend. For the most part, I think that dried up didn't really dry up for us personally so i guess i can't really speak to it on like an individual content but we had a couple partners that like their budget went down and we stopped working with them because i'm like we're worth this right now and they're like we only have this budget i'm like not worth it for either side at this point so we'll kind of get out of there and if you're not working with companies that are giving you like six-figure deals and you are kind of scraping off these like five hundred dollar deal here fifteen hundred dollar deal here those dried up pretty quickly Mm -hmm. and it's very easy to probably get in the mindset of like fuck you know like Things are not going to get back to the norm, but they will. But it might take a year or two years. This is the time to like persevere through that, build your brand, make sure you're still putting out everything high quality because when that money comes back into Mm -hmm. play, you will be the first person that's compensated correctly for that. That's kind of the way I'm thinking about the market. It's always been the way is is the under-promise, over-deliver. You always have to have that mindset, especially in a time like right now where it's just real life. Like you might have to supplement your life with getting a part-time job. job. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. shit like that. So I guess that's kind of the way I'm seeing the market. Is it the same for you? Yeah, I I definitely think so. From the the agency, I think we get a little data that would back that up. Uh, NBA Finals are this week. A couple brands are spending and activating, but last year there were 20 brands activating and spending. Same thing we saw, you know, I would say since Super Bowl, it's been kind of a downward trajectory. Uh, All-star brands were definitely spending, but it was a little less. There's still going to be those brands spending. Now is going to be a time of, all right, are the brands pivoting to – just taking a $50,000 budget, slapping it to one creator who's going to do really awesome for them? Or are they going to try and be very particular and convert on every creator that they're working with? So maybe there what is. Have, what action. have you seen? I think it's it's probably a mix. 
from what I've seen is like, I think if the companies that have found the bigger creators that they know will help them scale and actually yeah. like push numbers, there's no reason. Like if you could work with one uh, brand or creator, that's going to get you, you know, a, a million views or 10,000 signups or something like that, rather than trying to get 20 that will get you 500 each way easier for you as a company to get right. that. Obviously it's harder to find, but like yes. those, I think in a time like in a time like now where everybody's kind of being exposed for not being maybe good or a converter, yeah. It makes the top of the, the the really top level talent that much more valuable. Yeah, you know, so that's why if you push through now and you become one of those top level people, the next time the shit hits around, you will kind of cash in. But I'd imagine that companies cut their spending, and usually the ones who are just not performing are the ones that get cut. Which is, you know, the top level ones might only be the ones that kind of make it out of here. I think a really good example of that is Mr. Beast. His most recent video Who's did that? like sixty million in good, in twenty four hours. Good creator or no? Uh, yeah, he he's he's on YouTube. He's done like two thousand and two hundred videos. Uh, I only so do I only great. do TikTok, so um, I don't know. he he did a Shopify so Shopify launched their shop app and he did a really creative ad read within. And I would say twelve months ago, the amount of brands that would have had budget to to advertise and activate within a Mr. Beast video, maybe it was a hundred. Now it's probably only five. But for those brands that can, he's so good at it that there's probably this weird, like, there's only five people, but those five know that he's going to fucking convert like crazy. Like, the shop app went to number, I think it was like seven in the app store uh, overnight, which is like... What is like, that? What is the shop Shopify's app? app. I mean, they already had an app. From the consumer standpoint. So anyone oh. who shops on Shopify, like anyone who has a Shopify storefront, they're like, I guess they're could replace Amazon in like some fashion. Okay. That's kind of um, cool actually. But he did a two minute ad read, but while the video is going on, which is what he's so good at. And then he took like, I think they were playing like Jenga and he took a block of Jenga, put it in the store for 99 cents and their collector's items, which are being auctioned for $50 on eBay. Like it's this whole ecosystem knowing that even at that price tag, he's going to convert and deliver for your well, that's brand. What, yeah, exactly. That's what you're saying. So it's this weird thing where there's only so many brands that probably could afford that, but those three brands are really fighting and duking it out because they know it'll work. If not him, then they got to split their budget down. So I think you're seeing it's probably that mid-level creator who's who's getting hurt. Yeah, that's why my advice would just be to like if you're not in that stage, if you're not the higher level in your industry or your niche or whatever – you have no choice but to just push through until yeah. the economy kind of gets back. So continue to focus on good content as you always should be doing. The money's not going to be here, but it will be here yeah. in a year, in two years and three years. And if you're in the content game for ever. Like that's the way you should be looking yeah. at it. And you're going to make good content regardless of what's going on with the economy. So it's like, just continue to do that. Yeah. It's a, it's a question of, do you need to play to the economy or do you continue doing your thing? That I think is once again, it's a self awareness thing. It's a realistic. And this situation. is also this is also why, as a creator, you want to own your pipeline and own a product because right. when when stuff like that does dry up, even if you're not making a ton off your product, mm -hmm. it will supplement those thousand dollar deals, right? You yeah. might plug your own product or your mo your own e uh, info product or whatever. I would imagine <laughs> those products take a hit as well, though. They they will from a smaller scale, but you'd be surprised, like. If, if you built a brand, people will right. still buy your shit. And I think that's the biggest thing. You can almost, let's say you are a creator who left your job, went full time, market hits. Now you're kind of like, oh shit, like I, the projections of what I expected isn't here. I actually think you can draw, if you've delivered enough value, you can draw on your audience being like, 
hey, I'm out of a job. I offer this really great product. Here's why I am offering at this price. Like I want to continue doing this and delivering value back to you. And, and you guys are essentially the brand. Yeah. And I think the stuff that stops getting sold or the stuff that is not powered by a brand, like all the, like the graphic tees and stuff like that are like the first things that go because no one that you care about is selling them to you in the same way that like Pat McAfee, the economy's down, they'll pay him a hundred mil. Who's the one that get, what's the product that that gets cut? All the people that don't have necessarily personal brands. The same way I think with products and selling the products. I think you selling your personal brand will never, because people are not necessarily buying the product. They're just buying the personal brand. Of course, you'll see like a little bit of a dip because people need to be a little bit wiser mm-hmm. with spending their money. But I think yeah. overall, like if you've built up the personal brand, you'll probably be okay with selling. All right. So last topic was actually based off of that last conversation and it's, it's brand versus conversion. So we work in a space where a lot of our brand partners are actually focused on conversion. How many brand plays would you say you do? How do you think about them? And when you can't and and when you can't really track the data. You mean brand is in like a company comes to you and you're you're, I'm talking both. So how do you think about working with a brand that isn't necessarily focused on conversion? And then is there stuff you do in your company that doesn't like connect the dots immediately? So, for example, your trivia game that just adds audience. It's a brand play. You grow Mm -hmm. audience. I think in the back end, you're like, we'll sell them this product or we'll advertise against them. Yeah. When we are going to, like when we did our Super Bowl event, that was really our first big brand play. It was like, we're going to activate at Super Bowl, get a guest, do all this stuff. We're not like, we sold tickets just for a head count, but we're not making money from it. And we're not having sponsors activate on it. So it was really just like grow the brand. Do you think about that stuff or is everything you do think more about conversion down the line? Ironically, I guess I'll look at it from like sponsorships and affiliates. Yeah. I thought working with companies on more of a branding play would be better. And I actually don't like it that much. It's so impossible we ha- to measure. It's impossible to measure. Yes. Yeah. And I think while that leaves you open to be more like creative and whatever, yeah. it does kind of leave you with like a little bit of a less fulfilling type of feeling. For instance, we work with Mojo who operates legally as a sports book, but they're only legalized for people to play in New Jersey. And that's cool. It's easy for us to just make content and be like, okay, we don't have to plug a promo code. We don't have to do anything, but it also de-incentivizes like a community around the product Mm -hmm. because we're not actually pushing people to get onto the product. We're just making people aware of it. And the very bunch of first few conversations we have with them was like, we're partnering with you guys strictly as a brand awareness play. We're not trying to drive people to it, but and, and this could be like specific to them because they weren't legalized in other states. So it's hard to, I guess, pinpoint it here. But there would be sometimes it kind of felt like we were just yelling into the void because yeah. a lot of people couldn't actually like play it. So brand awareness, I think, is cool. And I think that's probably something you just need to have as a bigger company because you can't put everything into a direct response. But I think in terms of like advertising for a company, I prefer direct response. I think it's easier. I think it's more trackable. I think there's a very finite path from like A to B. Mm-hmm. Here's the content. Here's the outcome that I want to have yeah. rather than just like yelling at it. Um, in terms of making content for us personally, I think everything that we do for branding, if it's specifically for branding, I think it's to like just build brand loyalty with the personalities within the office. Like our vlogs have mm-hmm. absolutely no money or conversion tied to it. But I know that those vlogs will help us 
if we want to do a live event, bring 12 people to that live mm. event, right? So everything I think of with branding is more of a long-term conversion play. Right. Like I know that it, that will help. It is convert. a conversion down. It is. Road, that, yeah. It's a down the line conversion yeah. play. Like those trivia games, like, yes, we're, we're not plugging anything in those trivia games, yeah. but guess what? Uh, now that we're, we should have actually talked about this earlier, looking for interns for the summer, one or two interns. When we plug that into the beginning of the TikTok video, we're going to have a hundred applications like mm. that because we didn't ask for anything. All branding stuff. People fell in love with that stuff. Now we can ask for whatever we want. Also on top Which, of that. By the way, you're still offering like an amazing opportunity. It's not like you're even like, yeah. like Ike's lunch, you monetized with the merch. That yeah. was the long term. Well, I, I was going to say like with the trivia stuff, like we're building out the capability of people to play with us on our website in order for them to play with us. They'll have to give yeah, us email, their email yeah. and then they get onto the email list and then eventually we'll try to sell them products, whatever. Yeah. So it's always kind of a long term play and you should be looking um, at linking all of these things up. But I think the, the beautiful thing about doing branding things is like it'll eventually take care of itself. You don't necessarily have to have the knowledge of what you're going to do with it um, up front. You don't need yeah. to be like, okay, we haven't, I haven't started putting out content yet. I want to start putting out good content, but how do I map it to like yeah. what I'm selling? You don't have to do that right away because if you do branding correctly, you'll still be able to link it at the end because you'll that's how you build up like loyalty so when you do finally try to sell something or match it to something else people will be ready for that but if you start with the direct response to selling you automatically kind of like deflate and ruin your brand off the rip yeah, yeah so branding is like i wouldn't i wouldn't take it like too seriously like you have to do it well but i wouldn't mm -hmm. take like the back end part of it selling you know yeah. um seriously because you'll you could always figure that out later yeah and i think <clears> that is where I enjoy working in this space, having my own company, being able to kind of set the vision, not having investors to necessarily answer to, because I think sometimes they struggle. And when you're a corporate company and costs have to be cut and revenues have to be disclosed and all these things kind of have to happen on a certain timeline, that stuff gets rushed. So if you say- we Can't rush brand. Exactly. Cannot. And And I think like Mojo is another great example initially they want to do a big branding play and then post they're like oh our investors really want us to start bringing in real players and that kind of shifts the focus and now everything has changed uh i'm definitely in the same boat with you of like the dream is to do a brand play but the reality is actually like it kind of sucks to a degree because you can't measure it. And what's a success? And I think you like, think it was better because you think it's like, oh, it's easier because like there's no we'll do whatever we want. They can't yell at you. Right, but it just right. doesn't feel yeah. right. I don't know. It feels yeah. weird. No, like our conversation with Amazon was, are we in charge of helping you know people just be aware if there's an football on Prime or actually driving Prime subs? And like for us, we thought our reaction was going to be. Oh, we want them to say it's just, you know, make people aware because it feels easier and there's nothing that they can really measure. Mm -hmm. They could do some surveys, but it's not going to give you the full picture. And that was their answer. And now we're like, hmm, I feel like it'd be easier to just measure. Are we driving people to the fucking platform? But some things transcend. And I think like think of a company like FanDuel, right? They're, they have the highest market share. Of course, they're going to have the nerds figuring out what their co their CAC is, cost of acquisition and, and all that stuff. Um, cost of customer acquisition. Cost of acquisition. I'm not sure what CAC, CAC is. Yeah, honest. it's something like that. Uh, but losing Pat McAfee, right, has now, their brand has taken a significant hit, in my opinion. Something that's immeasurable. Something that... Yes, you could measure it on the back end eventually when the numbers all come to fruition, but 
I think that there's probably that intangible value that you were talking about before of like working for your brand that maybe some companies are missing out on because of all the corporate structure. Do you ever feel that way? You're saying like corporate companies miss out on like talent and stuff sometimes because of that? They maybe they just miss out on how they value certain things because they're not measuring what it actually means to the overall brand. Sure. Yeah, I think a lot of companies are not aligned with what brand means because brand is very hard to calculate, Define, but it's, yeah. it's easy to feel. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like brand is brand is like the story of yeah. of what your company is and how you got to where you are and do people care and believe in that story? And if you don't have that, it's very hard to capture market share. So, of course, all companies are missing out on opportunities, whether it's talent or revenue or the ability to sell or connect with their customers or have a feedback loop with their customers. Like it's kind of all encompassing with the mm-hmm. company. It's not all evident at first, but when you tell the story correctly, I think you have people, anyone that buys into the story will feel like this connection or love for you that they want to help you out. They want to continue. When you, when you tell them the beginning of the story, they also want to help you write the middle and the end of the story, right. you know? So it's like, they feel attached. They feel part of the story. And when you're not telling it, there's nothing to really feel attached to. So people who operate just off like numbers and revenue, I think, yeah, they're definitely leaving a lot on the table. Like I think fanatics is doing a half assed, but also a really good job of building their brand. It's like weird. It's like they're, they're, they're doing the business stuff. They dominate the business stuff, but they need the brand and they are investing. Tell me when you, when you say that, when you're like, I, th- I think the fanatics is doing well as a brand. Like what comes to your mind? Like why, why, like what's, what's like, what's their brand? So their premier, well, that's the thing. I don't think they have one because they were a, essentially a B2B business or B2C, but didn't care about this. Not didn't care. It was just like a very transactional relationship was their brand was you came for the best product in sports and you, you know, got it through a fanatics experience. Now they're building a brand where they have, the access to the NFL rookie premiere, right? And then Michael Rubin hosts that that breakfast with okay. Tom and all the rookie quarterback. Like, so the, the, they are building brand and his parties. But I was about to say right there, yeah. like I don't think people understand how powerful that. Like, you know the CEO, yeah. Like most people don't really know if your for CEO sure, builds sure. out a personal brand, yeah. that personal brand becomes the brand of the company in a way. So that so when I half ass isn't the right way to go about it because actually the story of Mark we, Rubin becomes a story of fanatics. Michael Rubin. Michael Rubin. So he's not doing that good yeah, of a job. Yeah. <laughs> what did I say? Mark Mark Rubin. <laughs> no, but but this is my point. Half assed is not the right word. It's I don't know if I agree with the brand they're building because okay. they are investing. The white party he throws, the mm-hmm. Super Bowl party he throws, every podcast he goes on, owning the Sixers, being friends with James Harden and Embiid and. That is, he's done a tremendous job of building that personal brand. I get very concerned with what's, what is the relatability, right, of that brand. So you're going to start a collectibles company. You're going to start a sports book. And my fear is people are, are betting against you. And when the prices of your cards go up, it's because your owner has positioned himself as this wealthy person who only kind of connects with the other wealthiest people and his relationships are the top tier athlete. So the brand is cool, but it's almost like unattainable. My, my point was like, yeah, but you know, the brand, like he's actually, he's actually building a brand. Whereas it he feels is. like most of these companies are very robotic, right. you know, just knowing who is the person in charge of the brand so, makes them that much more relatable. Right. Now what you do with it is the Delta that, yeah, that's the thing is 
I think there's three levels. It's it's the first level, which is a company who hasn't built any brand, right? Mm-hmm. Which is why there's no brand loyalty. Then there's the company that's done it, but maybe hasn't perfected it. Then they, they've got the perfect company. And like Apple has built this brand that even with being the most valuable company in the world and having the most cash in the world, the way they speak about their products is inspire change and inspire creativity. And like it even though the product is very expensive, they've done an incredible job. That's actually a super interesting use case because I would say like they don't really have a ton of like personal brand, but they're like extremely they private. Extremely. But their product is just like it unbelievably deniable. That. Yeah. Yeah. That's and, interesting. And fanatics, their product is actually they're gonna create this ecosystem potentially that could give off the same like dominance of you get your you sports bet here, you collect here, and you buy your merch here. And this is where the sports fan comes. Yeah. But sports fans are so passionate, and the majority of sports fans aren't sitting courtside at games. They don't know the athletes. They actually look at these people like role models. They actually like they drink beers on Sundays and they scream into the abyss. And and it's like, is that relationship um does it feel like it's with the audience? So So I guess I would like say from I like I listen to Gary Vee, obviously I've been a big follower of him. Yeah. He runs VaynerMedia, which is a massive marketing company. I would say probably makes a fuckload of money and brings in a ton of <laughs> clients because people know who he is yeah. from his personal brand. Yeah. Uh, he does a podcast called Props and Drops with Matt Kalish, mm-hmm. who is the CEO of DraftKings, yeah. I think. Just hearing and I've I've listened to the podcast and I was like, I like this guy. Like mm-hmm. he's cool. I like DraftKings now more than mm-hmm. FanDuel, right? And I would use them over that because I feel like he has a personality. And everyone has a personality, but he's showing his personality. And now it's more for me related to the brand. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, now I kind of like trust the people that are in charge of this company. And that's kind of what I'm saying is like putting yourself out there, builds that's a brand. That's the first step. Builds a brand. Important. What you do with it, how yeah. well your product runs and how you're actually building a brand, like what you're saying when you're putting yourself in the spotlight yeah. is going to be the difference between whether or not you succeed. But I think more companies with, if you have, if your company has a ton of awareness, I think like the biggest flop is is these people not putting themselves out there because you already have like you already have the spotlight there you know what i mean and i think that helps the top of the funnel for your company Mm -hmm. in in major ways it's not like you have to start a youtube channel from zero because you have the backing of FanDuel or DraftKings. like you'll be you'll go from one to 70 overnight like that you know and then that's how you kind of build the leverage yeah yeah and gary i think is interesting because his his personal brand was the grind right but then he made it and so now it's at this point where, okay, I want to buy the Jets, and that's all of a sudden becoming not a reality, but it's not out of the question when before it was kind of like the rallying cry and, you know, why we work so hard and why people supported him. But now he continues to make content or teaching people, right. like, what he's learned exactly. from it. You know, he doesn't, now, he doesn't go on now and just only talk about, like, running CE, like running the yeah. business and stuff. Yeah. He still stays at and that level. And he still makes time for people, and it, mm-hmm. it's genuine. So. I think he's done a nice job of kind of that gradual transformation. And I'm just excited. I just get excited about this stuff. And Fanatics is the, they're the lead dog in this industry right now. And Michael Rubin is building his personal brand, but is it going to be one that, that feels relatable for people? Does it have to be? That's the question. Maybe it doesn't have to be. And I maybe think just, just getting out there is, is yeah. putting yourself above um, a lot of, a lot of people. Yeah. All right, the last thing, only because we have time for it, is uh, the Ted Lasso finale. Did you ever watch Ted Lasso? I do. I'm not caught up up to okay. the finale, but so I, yeah, I definitely I won't watch. spoil it for you. It went through the – everyone said this is the worst season. Finale was great. I enjoyed it. I don't think people ever like finales. Did you see the Succession finale? I did. I um, I 
Succession's so up my alley. Mm-hmm. It's not up Hallie's. So we watched three episodes together like three years ago, and she was like, not for me. So I never really did it. But now I'm revisiting it. And you watched it and finished it? No, no, no. I'm okay. like through five episodes. But with Lasso ending, and I thought like you'll see, if you do a Twitter search on Ted Lasso finale, the writers and the connections between the first episode all the way back to like the trailer and the initial concept of it play out. And I'm not just talking story arc. I'm talking like poster on the wall is connected to things that, you know, like like deep level shit. That shit always like blows my mind. Blows my mind. I'm like, how did you do that when right. you didn't even write the season yet? Like, right. Yeah, it's crazy. So, so I think like my thought being succession, people are now saying top five TV show. Lasso, just some of the moments. And I think Lasso is not going to go down as a top TV show of all time. But in a time of need, it actually was like the bright spot of COVID for yeah, a lot of great. people. There's a writer strike right on, right now. I'm actually not like too keen on, on all the specifics around it, but I know that there is a writer strike. This seems to happen in industries all the time as they get to a point, the union, you know, they, they believe they're worth more, et cetera. Tying this all back to creators, there's a writer strike. What are you like? Where's your head go? I think it can become an opportunity for people who wouldn't necessarily normally get their foot in the door. Yep. I think about some of the fantasy industries, and I almost think, uh, I mean, it's not the same. It's not someone leaving, someone very talented leaving for a better opportunity. It's not a strike, but it is opening the door. So I think yeah. of a company like um, like NBC, mm-hmm. NBC Sports, right? They're Roto World, right? They're, like, big in the fantasy space, at least had been for the previous like 10 years. I'm not really sure what their standing is anymore, to be honest with you. I still use them. I still think they make good Mm -hmm. content, but like Evan Silva was like the face of it before he left to do establish a run. Mm -hmm. And then like, since he left other talent has left and they've just continued to recycle new talent in there and like try to rebuild their, Mm -hmm. their content systems. And it's a lot of guys who are just kind of like coming up, but they get thrust into these spotlight roles because of the opportunity available to them. Um, and I think of the fantasy pros is, is similar where they just, I think over the last five years they've had, cause Mike tags, you know, tragically passed away. They've had to fill these spots and he was like their guy. And now he leaves, they've had some other like controversy where other people have had to leave and stuff. And they have this massive platform with, you know, whatever it is, 150, 200, 300,000 people listen per episode. You need to have talented people coming right in, but had those like juggernauts never left or whatever. Um, those opportunities, wouldn't present themselves. So I think though, when, when these opportunities strike, like that's, that's where weird opportunities come from. And I also think, think about it from like sports, right? When people go into seasons, like you go into the NFL season and you're like, Oh, this team, this team is terrible. They got no depth on their cornerback, you know, uh, depth chart, whatever. Yeah. That's a lot of the times when like talent emerges, you know, that's a lot of the times when people out of nowhere come through. It's like, yeah, they can go into the season with, because you don't know anybody. Mm-hmm. That is when the no names get the opportunity to like shine. And I think from a creator standpoint, yeah, like you should always be looking for, I mean, Ted Lasso writing and stuff is obviously a much higher scale, but yeah. I think that's kind of the overall way that I would look at it. Yeah, it's an opportunity where you're outside of the union, so you actually have leverage all of a sudden to come in and and work for free or work after hours or, yeah, it's just they need people. Uh, So if you're talented, I think it's a great opportunity. Yeah, so if, like, someone saw an opportunity in, like, one of our companies, you know, and they were like, I want to do this for you, and they sent in, like, a piece of work or an example or something like that, that could be a much lower scale Mm -hmm. version of that. Like, when Tony and Sexy start striking, you know, we we got an editor (laughs) strike. We're going to need someone to come in. But it it is, yeah. I mean, that's the thing is 
you don't owe the writers on strike anything, right? So you, you do have to undermine them. For example, if Tony and, and Sexy were like, Nick, I'm not edit- we're not editing for two weeks, you would either have to pay them or replace them. And so if someone said, hey, I'll, I'll come do the job for 10% less or even the same, whatever it may be. In a second. In a second. That's, you know, you're offering l- leverage. So I think creators just have leverage in this in this situation. All comes back to having a personal brand. I know that any writer with a personal... I love that you put Ted Lasso writer's on the show. It's <laughs> out no, of control. But Jason Sudeikis isn't going to have trouble finding another job. He's got a personal brand. And I would imagine any of those writers. I Remember don't when I said we were hiring a content creator? Yeah. Jason. Jason, it's come Jason. through. Jason. All right, that's all I got. All right, we can wrap up there. I will leave uh, this one little nugget that I was sharing with you and Casey before. There's a, an awesome newsletter that I signed up to recently from this guy slash company called Creator Hooks. And every Monday he sends out a newsletter highlighting five YouTube videos that went viral within the last few weeks. And he basically just does a really quick, vivid breakdown of the thumbnail, the title, why it worked and how you could take that same formula in the title and use it for your industry. And I've been using it. I dropped uh, some examples in the discord that people thought were like really, really good. Did those within like 10 minutes. And I think it's a really, really powerful exercise to give you video ideas that are popular and work really well in under other industries that are probably not being used in your industry. And it just gets you uh, thinking creatively. So I would suggest you guys, if you're on YouTube, if you're working on title thumbnails, et cetera, sign up for the newsletter free to sign up. I think it's every Monday. I don't know if it's just YouTube help. I would imagine it would help. With it's just like copyright yeah, help, but yeah. it is specified. Right. For, this guy is like a specialist for but, YouTube. But stuff. what we were talking about was concepts. Like what comes first? You come up with the concept, then optimize the title, mm-hmm. or do you start thinking titles and then optimize the concept? And I think it works both ways. So one example was the five things that have never been done in this niche if you start to think about your niche, then you start to create things from it. And you created, what, 17 fantasy videos out of it mm-hmm. already? So I think that can obviously then be applied to TikTok and can be applied to all the platforms. Well, I was, yeah, because I, I think of, I, I like the um, the structure of it first. So, for instance, one of the ones that he put out was like, title was the five new commercial aircrafts that'll change the way that we travel. I'm like, kind of intriguing. So the formula was the five new object that will change the way we activity Mm -hmm. so i was like the five new and then for fantasy it could be the five new metrics stats settings or players that changed the the way we played fantasy football over the last 10 years the five players that changed the way um we played fantasy football would be like you know like darren sproles uh michael vick you know like guys like Mm -hmm. that that were very outside of the box but whatever or the five articles or podcasts that changed the way i played fantasy football Mm -hmm. so it's like powerful shit that I wouldn't have thought of those like kind of titles and it has nothing to do with it. It's just like aircrafts were the example. But if you take the the structure of the title, why it's so powerful and you put it into your industry, it works. So it's like you have the structure and then you think of the concept and there's multiple concepts you can use. Yeah. Break down like five concepts. You're like, which one do I like the most? You know, which one would I be most passionate about working on? Which one would I um, do the best on? And then you can kind of like dive in from there. Yep. All right. So take us home. Well, you said to subscribe right off the bat, which I appreciate. But I think you have to offer some value before you ask for people to subscribe. And you did it right off the bat. So what point in this episode do you think was the proper time to ask for people to subscribe? What was the first thing we talked about? It was something you brought up. The YouTube videos. Yeah. I could I could have hit him with after that little like ten minute talk, being like 
I know so fucking much about YouTube yeah. that you'll be so smart if yeah. you subscribe now and listen to the rest of our videos. Yeah. I've done 8,000 videos. Smartest guy on YouTube. Yeah. Hiring Mr. Beast. Yeah. yeah. I think the title for this is probably like 50 minutes of YouTube genius talking about creator economy leverage. YouTube genius. So YouTube genius teaches YouTube idiot everything he knows. <laughs> <laughs> you see, the, I like the thumbnail today. They made you broke and me poor. I know. The reaction faces, I just. I, yeah, they're tough. They're tough. Some scenes. of them are good, but. It is Super funny. I think there's probably... Do you hate it when I post it on Twitter and you just see your face up there no, like that? I retweet it. Okay. I reshare it. I, I, and I'm going to do more resharing of this stuff because this is a brand play. It's not a conversion play. You know, it's a brand play. It, I've been making money. I just haven't been sharing it with you. <laughs> but it is. So, yeah, I, I, I want this to be part of my brand. I think you knew that from an early, early point of how it all works for you. But I think it's important to me, too. So I will share more. I'll go on my list of tasks. I'm going to ascertain the thumbnail for this. I just need you to do that. Yeah, yeah. I could do everything else. Okay. All right. Love you. Oh, because we were out of space. Yeah, it just shut off after that. But we had all the audio, so you just put a picture of Derek Henry. Did you? Tommy put a picture of us, like the ending screen that we usually have. Um. All right. So here's what we're gonna do. <laughs> do we post shorts i don't know do we <laughs> you gave me this job yeah you have okay so this is how we're gonna do this you're gonna be responsible for tying up the loose ends and i'm gonna be responsible for distribution okay so you have the show sheet yeah and then you also i want you to communicate with the thumbnail people because mm. a lot of times i forget and then i don't ask them until monday and then we don't get it till wednesday you know what i mean yeah so after the episode we will just make sure we have a recap of what we talked about, like four or five subjects, and send it over to them. Okay. But I'm going to put you in charge of that to get the thumbnail. Okay. All right. Yes, sir. Break. Um, We're not starting. This is out of order, by the way. You have the, the, yeah. We're not starting with lasso. Yeah, yeah, I know. I was going to reply to you and be like, we'll throw that at the end. Okay. If there's time. That, that's actually how <laughs> what I wanted to say. do it. Um. Yeah, I'm bummed we didn't get the uh, episode out because I wanted to see if people think I'm an asshole. About the McAfee stuff? Yeah. I doubt it. I'm more interested to see the inner monologue talk. Oh, true. So the, fir the first comment was like, I definitely have an inner monologue. Yeah. I definitely like talk. I, I confirmed I do as well. Yeah. Laying in bed this morning. I can't imagine that uh, that percentage is correct. No. It's probably it's got to be like two or the three percent of people yeah. that don't have one. Makes no yeah. sense. And it's people I don't want to know. <laughs> Because they're not thinking. Imagine, imagine really. that, like, you don't have thoughts in your head. Like, you literally, it just comes out as frustration. You're just like, ah, like, you just Arthur Fist all the time.